Hi guys and welcome to Honest Theology, a podcast where we ask real questions about a real faith and a real God. This series we're going to be talking about the church, beginning with how it all began. <laughs> I think they were, they were just as bad. And we all love one another. Not always. <laughs> like the Albigenses, the Valdentia and some of these smaller groups that came into being. I'm Paul Serstad with Dr. Hugh Osgood. Let's be honest. So uh, let's let's jump straight in, Hugh. Uh, we're talking about the church, and um, I'm going to say the first time I see the word church, I might be wrong in this, but it's when uh, Peter um, gets told by Jesus, "On this rock, I will build my church." Is that roughly the first yeah, you're place? Right. Yeah, yes. that is. Um, Okay, let, let's go for, for the intention. What did Jesus mean by that? On this rock, I will build my church. Not so much on this rock, because I know that can neither mean Peter or the statement that he is um, the son of God, but church. What does he mean by build my church? Okay, you can go back into the Old Testament. You can see how God brought his people out of Egypt and he brought them into the wilderness. He then wanted them to be a people that gathered unto him. And so in that gathering to him, he set the tabernacle in the midst of the camp. Now, it's a huge camp. I mean, <laughs> so the people were, in a sense, coming out of that camp, which was like a sort of four sides of the square that they were all camping in yeah, different yeah, tribes. Yeah. And they would come out of that camp and they would come together in the middle around the tabernacle. And so that really was that sense of gathering out unto God. So when church is mentioned in the new testament it has that same feeling the word ecclesia means a company of people that are gathered out really and so it's that gathering that jesus is talking about he's going to establish a gathering of people that are gathered out unto him and so mm. that's fitting in very much with the old testament imagery as well so coming out of their place into the middle, into the midst, but well, as one unit? Well, yes, it's, it's a coming together unto him, isn't it? Because it says, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Uh, so you've got that concept already there in the Old Testament yeah. that's then being picked up in the New with the sense as individuals come to faith, they also come together into this coherent whole, which is the church gathered unto the Lord. Right, so is church, is, is a good translation of it then gathering it's it's a word that we've come to use for that special sense of gathering together under the lord and so therefore it carries that meaning but of course it gets picked up in all kinds of different ways people think Mm. church it means building and this kind of thing yeah so what 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 about that so yeah because a lot of the time if you say to anyone non-christian you say church i mean you say to most christians say church we will think about building yeah have you come to my church we we think oh what's your church but we don't really think about it as we should which is a gathering together unto the lord yeah why is that what's the what's the problem (laughs) is there a problem well i think it has become a problem i think when you go back to how the church met in the new testament they didn't actually think of church as buildings because they didn't actually have a consistent building place in which to meet just load of house groups well yeah there was that certainly in the church in rome because it talks about all of those different groups and you you get a similar feel for the church in other places as well that they met in homes Church in Jerusalem began like that. They broke bread from house to house, although they also met together as a large company in in Solomon's porch. So you've got that sense of 
church being a gathering then rather than it being a building. And so we've lost something along the way. In fact, really, church didn't become identified with building until after the conversion of Constantine when Christianity sort of became the state religion in Rome. And that's when you started getting the buildings and you started getting the vestments and you started getting all of that. Yeah, so it was as late as that that you would start getting those kind of... When's that, roughly? Well, you know, where we... It must have been there to some extent before because, I mean, churches would have started having the building. But the the whole sort of idea of the grand building, everything was in in that sort of, well, let's say 400. uh, Wow, okay. Wouldn't you think that there'd be some... Because they had the synagogues, the Jewish people had synagogues before and that... I mean, that is as close to we get as church. Yeah, but then, then, but then the whole idea of the synagogue that? was that, that, that being a gathering place. But, you but know, was the synagogue, the building itself, not holy? It was difficult, really, because the, the main emphasis would have been the temple. Right. And, yeah. and the synagogues were, were sort of like teaching places, meeting places. So, yes, you've got that concept and that could carry on. Mm. But this big emphasis where the confusion comes in church equals building, I don't think that was really prevalent in the early centuries. I think it was something that became much more dominant once that was that feeling of state religion coming in. So how come the... Because in the book of Acts, the, 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 the disciples or the apostles, they, they still have this very... Um, deep connection to the temple mm-hmm. don't they? they they want to go and worship there mm-hmm. still um why is that because they because jesus does say that you know you, you are the temple my, my spirit dwells in you sure um and we see that like the fire is representative of his spirit coming mm-hmm. there as it was in the tabernacle and the temple and all that so why is that still need for the temple well that building link well in a sense it, it you know jesus had already begun to make it clear that the temple was not going to be there on a permanent basis. Talked about, you know, this building, the stones will be taken one from the other. Mm. All of that was spelt out. So it was obviously in the early days of Christianity, you could see it was definitely transitioning towards that situation where the emphasis on the temple being us as the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church together being the temple, that shift was already, you know, marked out by what Jesus had said. So in a sense, was um, was the day of Pentecost like the church's birthday? Yeah, I think so. Do you think they all sang happy birthday? No, I don't think they all sang happy birthday. I reckon that's when it was invented. You reckon, just, yeah, you reckon? Yeah, you think so? Like an Aramaic well, maybe, or Greek. They just, you, know, you, you fancy all singing Aramaic. I was going to sing it, but I actually don't know any Aramaic or Greek. So um, I lost Spanish, myself there. I I'll just be Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so today, what... It, what the, the the church then, so uh, for, for the original understanding, it would be to be a gathering of people. That's how we should see the church? Yes, I think so. A gathering. But with that emphasis of not just a gathering of people, because you can have all kinds of gatherings of people, but a gathering together unto God. A gathering, okay, so it is dedicated to God. Yeah, sure. And And there's a sense in which when it talks about Jesus saying, and on this rock, I will build my church. There's a real sense as well that he's, he's, he's seeing the church as his church. So mm. it's got to be a church that's Christocentric, as well as just sort of having that sense of we're building, coming together under God. It's a coming together of people who recognize Christ as the Son of God and who recognize his resurrection power as being significant in the church.
Okay, so you've got pretty quickly um, you, 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 the church starts. It's you know three thousand are added. Wow, and then more and more and more, and they go out and you know they do the whole Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, but very very quickly, we see different. I want to call them early denominations in Acts start appearing, um, like in Acts fifteen, the whole thing about circumcision and being for the Gentiles and not for the Gen uh, and not for the no being for the, for Jews, the Jews and, and not for the yeah. Gentiles. Um, is this is this where we start to see denominations? Well, denominations really. I know it gets a bit of a bad reputation. It's like, oh my goodness, people have denominated. Um, I think where it goes wrong is when people start gathering around a name other than gathering around Jesus, or even though you can get some people, like, like when Paul was talking about it, he was criticizing the church in Corinth because some were saying, I am a Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, so and then there were the super spiritual ones that said, well, I am of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, they, were, they, they were just as bad because there was a whole sense in which they were gathering around names rather than gathering around the Lord. And so that's like... That's where the denomination gets the bad name. But I actually... So today that would be like saying Methodist or No, Baptist. I don't think it is really. No, but like, like, I am of Paul, I am a well, Methodist, well, or I am that, a Pentecostal. Well, that spirit that, is what is the problem. Right. It's not actually the fact that, that people will gather around different emphases. You're quite right in saying that early on in the church, it was very clear that the, the Jewish church was going to have one kind of expression and that the Gentile church was going to have another kind of expression. Does that... I don't see that as a problem. Problem. But, but doesn't it sound like one rule for one group and one rule for another? Well, I mean, they're pretty minor rules, aren't they, really? I mean, mm. Paul says circum circumcision isn't really that important. It's just circumcision of the flesh. The important thing is that everyone needs their heart circumcised. We need the flesh cut back so that we're no longer living a fleshly life, but we're living from a heart that's really turned to the Lord. So that's the important thing, mm. having a heart that's turned to the Lord. These other bits and pieces which come in, and, and we will all have our preferences. You, some will want to do it this way, some will want to do it that way. God's heart's big enough to accommodate all of that. I don't see that as the problem. And so in Acts 15, what happens is they come together and they discuss this. And, and what they decide is that certain burdens shouldn't be put onto the Gentile church. So they agree that they can have fellowship, they can, have, they can sit at the same table, yeah. all of those things. But there will be things where there will be different cultural differences, really. Okay, you said you said some want to do this, some might want to do that, and then you called it a burden. Um, it, it, just help me walk through that because a burden sounds you something. Help me walk through it. I've well, got to remember what I said. Yeah, now. <laughs> burden sounds like something you have to do, but you're kind of implying there that those extra rules are like if Paul says the circumcision of the flesh, it, or, you know, the circumcision yeah. being symbolic isn't really needed anymore, but the Jewish people were really persistent in it being needed. Mm. Is that, does that make it more of a, a want than a, a necessity? I think it's in that kind of category. I think it then becomes a cultural issue. And I think that that's when I feel that one of the great things about the church is that the unity of the church isn't based on everyone being exactly the same. I think we, we submit to one another, we are accountable to one another, we love one another, we, we build those kind of relationships, but there will be differences. And 
That's because we want there to be different differences. Well, because we feel more comfortable with them to some yeah. extent. And some of those things are secondary. So, you know, that's not a problem. We just be gracious about those kind of things and, and be absolutely united on the things that are essential. Yeah, okay. And should we, if we are in, like, um, we talked about just, just then culturally relevant, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the, the Orthodox Jews will have a very certain way of doing things because it's within the culture of, mm-hmm. of, of that. Um, so being in that denomination or being in a culturally relevant if you feel that you belong, not outside, but you feel more comfortable outside that particular cultural way of worship, is that okay or should you stick in your culture, uh, cultural environment? I, you know, I really like if a Jew really felt like, back in the Book of Acts, really felt like they should be like the Gentiles, mm-hmm. would that be okay or should they stick within their culture? Well, it depends what they're trying to do, doesn't it? If you're trying to witness to people in your culture... Sometimes it's really important to actually stay within that culture. So Paul says to the Jews, I became as a Jew. But to the Gentile, I became as a Gentile. So Paul had that kind of flexibility. He wasn't always trying to say, I'm putting across a very Jewish expression of the gospel here. He was equally comfortable with the Gentile expression of the gospel. Yeah, he says that to that thing, I'm a Gentile, the Gentiles are Jews to the the Jews. So he's got that ease with it. And I don't have a problem with that. But I think if people are hopping around all the time, this, I'm that, and then I'm that, part of the difficulty is that who are they going to actually have an impact on? Um, maybe there are times when we do need to challenge people and say, actually, do you realize that some of the stuff that you're holding up there is such a big priority is really just a cultural thing yeah. and it's not essential? And then sometimes it's good to challenge that and to say, well, look, I'm not going to do that because I think that's just, just your way of looking at it. The difficulty with denominationalism comes when people insist that I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big problem, actually. Yeah, uh, it still happens today. Um, okay, so after we have the Jews, the Gentiles, we see that little split. Can you um, very quickly walk through what happened after Acts and the Epistles? Like, just quickly walk through that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give oh, you, like, a man. minute. Okay, just a minute. Yeah. All right. Well, certainly in the first century, you've got the apostles. And very interesting that I don't think the apostles were quite as territorial as some people think. Okay. So, you know, for example, you could see how people benefited from Peter. They benefited from Paul. They benefited from Apollos. Apollos wasn't even one of the 12 apostles. But you can see the way that that was opening up. You come into the next century and there's a shift because now we're looking at, at regional bishops. Um, bishops in the first century were probably just local church leaders. When you come into the second century, they tend to be looking after regions. And so you've got bishops, and then you start appointing clergy under the bishops. And so things begin to shift a little bit. But where does this, all, all these words, where do they come from? Because oh, we, we don't of, see clergy no, in the Bible. No, no, some th- of them are labels that we put on since. But the so I- are they, because they were in houses, just let me get this. So <laughs> a bishop, let's go for that. Okay. Are they the person who leads the house group it was probably down to that kind of level although they might well have actually had as it seems in rome there could be multiple meeting places but there was still a sort of centralized understanding in rome as well so they probably gathered together as well so you've got the level of cell you've got the level of celebration you know using terminology we might use today Mm. where people come together but you certainly see that shift you would have had women bishops then by that point 
because certain women were leading house groups. Well, you did, but yes, that you you could have. If very, I'm if I'm smacking on that name, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's tricky, really, because the the emphasis. If you look at what Paul wrote to uh, Timothy yeah. and what he wrote to Titus when he's looking at the appointment of elders or, or bishops in the, in the in that local situation. He certainly, in that context, was using male terminology. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't doubt, for example, that when you come to the expressions of different ministries, that you had, it wasn't so gender specific. Mm-hmm. So there was an encouragement, you know, prophecy from the day of Pentecost. It was your men servants and your maid servants will prophesy. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it was that gender specific. I think it did become more gender specific late, uh, later in church history. I think it also became much more hierarchical. I think when they started appointing bishops, they started giving a different level of responsibility to pastors in local situations. So it became necessary that only pastors that were recognized and had hands laid on them by someone who could track back to an apostle was allowed to break bread and do those kind of things. So the church was becoming more organized, even in the second century. And then it progressed. There was a big change with Constantine when he converted to Christianity as the Roman emperor. That became then a state religion, which changed a lot you then carry on from that and you can see how the church developed really through about a thousand years of Mm. having quite a stronghold on society particularly in the west you've got the holy roman empire of the west and those kind of things developing in history i've only got one minute so i've always probably overflowed that's the roman church that that at that particular point, what we would now call the Roman Church, yes. But in the early days, the, the Bishop of Rome doesn't seem to have had more authority in the early centuries than the other bishops. Oh, that okay. was something that came in a little bit later as the Roman Empire declined. So it seemed that the, 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 the strength of the Roman Church became more and more evident, really. Okay. And, and certainly throughout Europe, that was the case. Right, okay. That's not a very full history, but that's you pretty did good. ask for a that's minute. That's pretty good. No, that's all right. And how does it break up more after that? Is it when it starts? Is it then bishops? The bishops uh, well, start? well, you know, you've, you've got a pretty static pattern. There were some groups like the Albigenses, the Valdensians, some of these smaller groups that came into being whilst the Catholic Church was still strong. Some of them the Catholic Church felt very uneasy about, uh, actually had a crusade against the Albigenses because they felt all... they've got a duality in their theology. And this is all at the same time as... Um... And then we get the Reformation. <laughs> but, but, the, but as the growing Roman church, you've still got a stronghold in uh, Jerusalem? Not so much in Jerusalem, because obviously with Jerusalem, there was 70 AD, you, you lost Jerusalem, but basically. you still have the Orthodox or the, the Messianic well, Jews? Uh, yes, that was still there um, in different areas. Some believe that they went to Petra in Jordan, a lot of the church out of there. You can see the scattering. You can see John, who was at one point in Jerusalem, ending up in Ephesus. So you've got a moving out of those. So the Jewish and Gentile connection was really strong. They were very intermingled in, in most places, wow. um, working through multicultural church situations. So, yeah, I mean, this was, and then you, you, you mentioned about the Orthodox and, and how that, that came into being. There was certainly uh, questions from quite early on in that the church in the East and the church in the West had got different views on things that came up in some of the creedal statements. And then we reach a point where the churches do develop separately, the Orthodox church from the Catholic church. And then, of course, you get the Reformation which also right, okay. leads that, and, you know, we've that's gone beyond good. that minute. And no, that's good, that's good. I, I put you on way too much pressure. I mean, I had written in my notes, given three to five minutes, and I was like, yeah, let's see how he does with one. So, my bad, sorry about that. Um, 
So after the Reformation, that creates a whole new branch. You've then got the Reformation, you've still got the Catholic Church. Yeah. And you then you still have the Orthodox... Am I calling it right, the Orthodox? Yeah, the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, Church existed. But what happened within the Protestant Reformation was that, yes, you had got certain reforms, so the Lutheran Church and some of these yeah. came out with that pattern. You've got the, the, the Swiss pattern that was picked up in Scotland, which was Calvinistic. You've got the changes that happened with the Church in England, which was quite an interesting way of bringing Protestant teaching into a mm. much more... But then you'd start getting like the Congregationalists coming into being, and, and uh, hey, it just gets really exciting then, because does, there are so it? many different yeah. versions. Right, Okay. And we all love one another. We do. Well, <laughs> not always. <laughs> all right, so now we're at a point today where there are hundreds of splits. We kind of talked a little bit about very very briefly about how it very all happened quickly, very quickly you know what? it was it was Manic it was full Mondays. of great great words which even i didn't hear so if you're listening to this at double speed very sorry um, we we might we may touch on that again and, and go through that a little bit more slowly a bit more detailed um, but i just i just wanted to push on you did didn't um, you? yeah I did. my bad so is it is there a similarity between this huge split of the church to or rather the um the the you know the dissipation of the church almost the same as the tower of babel because it everyone got sent their own ways it's a change of language and even now if i walk into a uh if i walk into a church of england some of the words i'm like i i've I've no idea what that means. It's a, it is like a different language to me, you know. Um, not in a, not in a negative way. I'm just like I've no idea what you're talking about. Um, have you? I've, probably you you haven't. But I mean, I've sat in I some did, churches I, I and I they did. do some responses, and then everyone uh, says the same thing at the same time. I'm like, whoa! These guys have got like hypnotic powers, or they just <laughs> well, if they're Anglicans, they're getting it out of a book. If they're Pentecostals, they just learned it by rote. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We just say hallelujah. Um, <laughs> So is, is there some similarities? What, between the way the church has, has gone into different denominations and the Tower of Babel? Because there's confusion with the Tower of Babel. Yeah, there is. And there is confusion today with the church. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, and I know some of the theories. I know, for example, that some folk would say that part of God's redemptive plan is to bring us all back to one language. Some people think that speaking in tongues could be, you know, a Pentecostal, as it were, reversal of Babel. But you're putting it right down to now and saying, hey, where are we at now? Um, do we need to see a reversal of that situation where there was a scattering? Ah, oh, man, you, you are some tough ones. I, I, I would say that... Um, that there are some real differences between what's happened with the church and what happened at the Tower of Babel. I think the first thing that's a difference is that the, there was an arrogance 
that led to the Tower of Babel. It was people saying, let's reach heaven, you know, let's have that capacity to get to God ourselves. I don't see that same level of arrogance. I do see problems with arrogance that cause the church to get to where it is. But I don't think it was that arrogance that says, we don't need God, we can get there ourselves, we can touch the heavens, which is what God was really railing against when he split people up um, at the Tower of Babel. So I don't think what we're looking at is God looking at an arrogant church saying, I'm going to split you in a dozen and one different directions. Okay, to spin it in a positive light then, rather than that being a negative scattering. Hmm. Um, the same way of the reversal of the 3,000 dying um, in Exodus. When the law was given, yeah. When the law was given and the 3,000 saved. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that similar style of redemption. Yes. Is God using a different cultural language with the scattering of the churches to reach people groups okay, that well, would not necessarily yeah, understand? Yeah, okay, Do you know what I mean? I am much more comfortable with that. Yeah. So I, I really like the idea that the Tower of Babel has caused people to be scattered and to have divisions and differences. And if the church is able to get in amongst all those differences yeah. and know that, and then from that position of identification with all of these different cultures and everything else, to actually pull everything back into the center to say, we may have all of these different expressions and all of these different cultures and all of these different opinions, but we are one in Christ Jesus. That would be incredibly redemptive. That would be really like turning the Tower of Babel on its head. Is that what you see happening now? It's what I want to see happening. Right. I think it's what's on God's heart. Um, but I think we struggle with all kinds of things, you see. I think, I think we struggle, even when we're talking here, we're battling with this thing is is the fact that there are so many different expressions a good thing or a bad thing yeah if the church just got to the point and said actually it's probably a good thing but now we recognize that we've got all these differences instead of trying to iron out all of the differences why don't we concentrate on loving one another so that we can actually be doing this redemptive thing of pulling all these differences into a, a unity which respects the diversity and and do that centered on Christ. That would be amazing. I like that. Unity that respects the diversity. Yeah, and centers on Christ. That's really what I want to see. Well, that's great, Hugh. Uh, so that's all we've got time for, for part one of The Church, how it all began. Uh, so make sure you tune in with us next time for our episode two uh, on The Church. Title, oh, I've got, but I just didn't write it down. So, you know, you'll get it later. Um, please make sure to leave us a review, like, share, subscribe, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks very much.